2 Samuel 23, and we'll read five verses there together. Second Samuel 23, beginning at verse 13. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the security that we have in his death and resurrection. And as we turn now to your word, we ask that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ all the more clearly. We pray that you would teach us and that, that it would be your words that we would hear. And this evening, Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives, in our gathering. And we do pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, growing up, I was often reminded of a great hardship that my dad had to bear on account of me. Not an easy thing to bear. As a lover of cars, he prized his teal blue MGB highly. It was a beautiful sports car, so I believe. And it was the envy of many, and my dad certainly enjoyed it. But unfortunately, it was wholly unsuitable as a family car. And when his firstborn, that's uh, yours truly, uh, when his firstborn was on the way it had to be sold and replaced with something that could accommodate baby and pram and all the paraphernalia that goes uh, with having a child. I like to think that this was a sacrifice worth making, <laughs> but then I would, wouldn't I? All joking aside, we understand that sacrifices are frequently necessary. They're sometimes understated, but they're often acts of love and consideration for others. And as we've read this little passage, just tucked away there at the end of 2 Samuel, we have read about a sacrifice that was worth making, but it was on a much higher scale than simply giving up a car. And as we gathered around the table just a few moments ago, as we broke bread and as we took from the cup, uh, we remembered a sacrifice that is infinitely above all other sacrifices that has, have ever been made. And David has painted a picture for us this evening. It just helps us grasp something of the importance 
of remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now David is very much at the end of his life. He's uh, certainly of the understanding that his days are drawing to a close. And I think as what happens as we do get older, I think I'm in that bracket now. Uh, Not quite as old as my dad, thankfully. Um, But as we get older and perhaps as we draw closer and closer to that moment that we think life might come to an end, we start to survey the events that have taken place in our lives. And David is doing precisely that here. He's thinking back over a course of events, a series of events uh, that has transpired and, and has been part of his life. And something that is so close to him, so important to him, is the story of the mighty men who served him. Now in this passage, as David looks back, he's the king that's looking back to a time before he was king. And he's thinking of these mighty men that were loyal to him, that loved him. Men that stood head and shoulders above all the others. And there is one event in particular that David just simply uh, expands and embellishes because it has a very special meaning in his life as he appreciates all that was done for him. And so as David thinks, he's thinking of that time that he was in a cave near the city of Adullam. He's on the run from Saul. Israel's at war with the Philistines. It's a truly uncomfortable time for David and and for the rest of Israel. But sadly, David, even though he himself is a mighty man who has slain many, many Philistines, he's got no sanctuary. He's got no safe place to turn. And every which way he looks, he can see danger. And perhaps he's feeling that strain, that stress, that something untoward might just happen to him at any moment. And so as he shivers in this cave, he just wants something that will give him comfort. He wants something that will give him a reminder of what was once secure and stable in his life. And what is it that his mind turns to but just a cup of water? How simple, but yet how profound. This water that had slaked his thirst as he'd baked on the hillside of Bethlehem, tending the family sheep as a shepherd boy. And some of his men hear his musings, hear his plea, perhaps even his anguish, and they set out to get the water. Now, it's about 15 miles from Adullam to where this well at Bethlehem lay. Uh, 15 miles would have been no problem to these men. These are the equivalent of the SAS today, traveling quickly over long distances on foot. 15 miles there and back, not a problem. But the kicker is that this well's lying behind enemy lines. And on top of that, as they would exit the secret place of the cave, no doubt there would be spies of Saul looking to try and find where David was. And so these men had a mission that they gave to themselves, but a mission that was just beset with danger at every turn. And amazingly, they managed to get that flask of water back safely to David. But then just imagine their reaction as we have read. Their reaction is David takes the flask of water and instead of drinking it, he pours it out in front of them. And that water that they had risked everything for just simply runs off the rock and seeps away into the soil. Now David isn't being ungrateful or insensitive because David recognizes the worth of the sacrifice that has been made for him. David saw something 
immensely valuable in the water, something that moves him to honor the sacrifice of these three men. Now, we've come this evening, haven't we? And we have honored not just a sacrifice, but we have honored the sacrifice above all other sacrifices. And we do this weekly in Hamilton Baptist. Because we know that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just an important historical event. But the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is an event, a moment that is pivotal at the very heart of all eternity. And we've pictured in our mind's eye the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It was his sacrifice where the sin of his people was paid for. It was in his death that death itself was defeated. It was in his giving of his life that the wrath of God was exhausted for those who belong to him. And it was in his bearing of shame that the guilt of sin was removed forever. And so how crucial it is for us, the people of God, as we were hearing this morning, how crucial it is for us, the church of God, to honor the sacrifice. And there are just three things I briefly want to draw out from these five verses that we've read that will help us think about honoring the sacrifice. And the first we find in verses 13 through to 15, and we see there the initiative. Now this account of scripture doesn't originate with David really, it originates with the mighty men. David could have spent all the time in the world musing and moaning and wishing and wanting that this water could simply be before him. He could have done that until he was blue in the face. But it is these men who take that initiative and head out into danger. And I wonder if we've ever stopped to consider that the act that we have just enjoyed and uh, been part of together this evening, the initiative is not with us. The initiative lies wholly and fully with our God. Put yourself in David's position here. I don't really know much of what it's like to be in a cave. I don't like confined spaces. I don't like the cold. I certainly don't like the dark. But David is in there. It would have been freezing. He would have been tired because he's got to keep awake. He's got to keep alert just in case somebody gets him. David's got no home comfort whatsoever. He's living on the run. He's looking over his shoulder. He's not just trying to escape a run-of-the-mill thug who might cause him a bit of a problem. He's actually on the run, fleeing away from the most powerful man in the country. He is trying to escape Saul, King Saul himself. And as David is catching his breath in the gloaming of that cave, all he wants is something to soothe him. And perhaps we know what that is like. Maybe we have been ill at some point in our life and all that we've wanted is, whether it's chicken soup or the soup that our mothers used to make, just something that if we could take into our mouth, if we could smell the aroma of, we would feel a modicum of comfort. Maybe you find your comfort not so much in what you eat, but perhaps it is just in the embrace of somebody who's close to you. 
somebody who loves you, somebody who has your back. When we're in difficulty, we look for the smallest crumb of comfort, don't we? And that's what David is doing here. He just simply wants a taste of home. And the best taste of home that he can imagine and think of is the water that is drawn from this well by the gate of the city. That water that just simply met his thirst in years and days gone by. It was water that mended his trouble. And he cries out in verse 15, Oh, that someone would give me some water to drink. And his need, his longing is betrayed. And these mighty men take the initiative as they hear David. We're not really clear from the passage whether David was in conversation with them or whether they've overheard his conversation with somebody else. But I would imagine in a cave there's not really uh, much, by the way, of being able to hide yourself from others. And these men take that initiative. They, They see and they hear what David truly wants. And their love for David is so deep. Their respect for David goes so far. And their loyalty for this man that they know will be the next king is so great that they will put everything on the line just to get what he's asking for. You know, there are things that we can ask for in our lives that other people would say that's just a step too far. But not with these men. That's their initiative. And I wonder what initiative are we acting on today? As we've gathered around the table, as we've broken bread, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on that night before his crucifixion, as we've taken of the cup, again remembering uh, the institution of the, the new covenant, are we acting because it is our initiative? Or are we acting because this is the initiative of our God, our Savior, our Lord. You know, we're only here. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his initiative. And it's not just the initiative that he had when he realized that we were in trouble. It's not just the initiative that he had when he heard the words of our longing to be saved from sin. This is the initiative that Christ Jesus and the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit had in eternity past before even one atom was created. That he would take that perilous journey. Casting aside the safety, the security, the majesty of heaven. And allowing his perfect, sinless person to live and minister in this sin-cursed world. That is the initiative of Christ. And we gather in response to his initiative. We gather as we react in worship to his divine rescue plan. By getting this truth correct, by putting uh, things in the right perspective, we have to have that response. And David gives us a good example as we move into the next portion of this passage because then we see the the integrity. We've had the initiative. We now see the integrity. And we find that in verse 16. And what David sees in verse 16 is the wonder of what these men did. A beautiful thing. A powerful thing. 
And if we're being honest, a thing that is entirely worthy of being recorded in the pages of Scripture. I didn't take the time to count up how many mighty men were mentioned in this chapter. But they are many. I didn't take time to list the great acts of these mighty men, but they are powerful and wonderful. And it's so interesting that this act of of deep beauty is given to us in just a few words, but uh, these men are not named like the others in the chapter, yet their deeds are expanded and they're expounded upon. Because what they did encompasses an amazing act of love, of compassion, of tender loyalty. Because what these men do, not under the cover of darkness, but with immediacy, they go out into the broad daylight and break cover and head for Bethlehem. It's not just that Saul might get them, but they have the Philistines to face. We're not told of any fighting, but they certainly break through the enemy lines. They, they get to where it is that they are intending to go. And in the midst of this very real danger, they have nothing to consider except what their leader desires. Now, David isn't anointed. He is anointed as king, but he's not crowned as king at this point. But they have a loyalty to David that will take them into the worst possible places, and they go willingly. David hasn't even given an order that they're obeying. But they show their integrity by reaching out for what their future king desires. And it's always so helpful for us to look at our integrity, isn't it? Particularly when it comes to obeying our king. And I'm not just talking about the king of our land, I'm talking about the king of kings, our king who will be our king for eternity, our king who who reigns over not just our hearts, but over the whole of this creation. This king who has a power that cannot be charted, that cannot be limited. This king who sits at the right hand of God as a sign and as as a symbol of his authority over all things. And I know that time and time again I have to come back to the integrity of my heart. Do my actions match my profession? Do my words match? match my heart and all too often that integrity I can just simply melt away when the heat is on that when the frustrations set in we wish that perhaps we were free to perhaps express ourselves as we feel but these men had reined all of the danger in all of the difficulty in and they have an integrity before David that is wonderful And so these men come back and they present this flask of water to David and we can just imagine the delight of David. Perhaps whether it's children or grandchildren or friends or or, or children in the Sunday school, you've been presented with something that, that they have made. And you just delight in whether it's a picture or a, a craft that they have done. And our eyes, of course, are wide open with the love that we have for them. Our smile travels from ear to ear. And then we delight to see them, how they respond uh, to our joy. Can you imagine taking that craft or that picture and then taking a match to it and setting it on fire? 
How would the children react? Would any of us crumple up a picture or a painting so lovingly made for us and throw it in the bin? Well, these men must have wondered what on earth it was that David was doing. Because he takes that flask of water, we don't know how much it was, but he takes it. And just in the moment, David realizes, you know, I'm not going to drink this. It's just too precious. And David shows his integrity in turn by pouring it out. I think these men, before they would perhaps hear the words of David, these men must have been aghast. But David has that presence of mind to pause and honor the sacrifice that they have made. Men that had risked their lives. Men that had undertaken an impossible mission. Men that were loyal to David above all things. And our worship is a response, isn't it? That comes from the integrity of Christ saving us. And we respond surely with integrity. Our worship this evening, our worship uh, of our lives being poured out to our Lord and Savior. You know, only Christ's people can have integrity in worship. Because if you don't belong to Christ, then you are putting on the airs and the graces of worship. That's not integrity. But that, that's falsehood. But this evening, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you come and you worship, that's the integrity of your heart shining forth, your love for Christ. And it leads us finally to verse 17. And there we see the instinct David is a man and we could spend a lot of time looking at his faults. He had many faults and he had many faults because he was human. But David in verse 17 explains why he's poured out this water. His instinct has been, you know, there is something special about what is done here. There is something worth noting about what has happened here. And David's instinct here is not worldly, it's not selfish, but it's an instinct that would honour what has been done in his name. And David is pouring this water out as an offering to the Lord. And David says, you know, this is actually the blood of the men. Now, what David is doing here is reminiscent of, of part of the sacrificial system instituted way back in Exodus and then Leviticus. And one of the sacrifices that were offered was the grain offering where grain was taken and it was baked into bread and, and it was offered on, on the altar and some of it was consumed and as part of that particular offering, often there would be what was called the drink offering, where the best wine available was taken and it was poured over the offering on the altar. Now, David isn't likening this water to the best wine. David is saying this goes even higher, even better, even greater. This water is like the blood of the men who risked everything for it. And he is offering that to God in thanksgiving for what has been done for him. This evening we have come, haven't we, in thanksgiving for what has been done for us in the work of Calvary. And what happened at Calvary runs much deeper than what the world sees. The world just simply sees a Jew being put on a cross by the Romans, if at all they believe it happened. But we have a greater insight, don't we? Spurgeon said that there are some sciences that may be learned by the head, but the science of Christ crucified can only be learned 
by the heart. That's our instinct. We know that Christ has died. And he's died to save his people. And so we must therefore surely grasp that the cross is where wrath and mercy meet. The cross is where sin and death are defeated. The cross is where guilty, vile sinners find unquenchable hope that they can be forgiven. And this evening I do pray that you know that forgiveness that can only be found at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think on the cross this evening, what's your instinct? Is it to be sentimental? Is it to be grateful? Is it to sing praise? Our instinct, of course, should be all of these things, but it needs much more than that. Our instinct has to be to honor the sacrifice. That living sacrifice that we heard of this morning in Romans 12 is us pouring out our very lives because of what Christ has been done. Paul would say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that he was being poured out like a drink offering. And so every day for us, our lives are to be poured out as we honor the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. You know, we would be utterly treacherous if we did not honor the work of Christ on the cross. It's his initiative that draws us to worship. It is his integrity that fuels our praise. It is the instinct that is given to us by being made into the dwelling place of God that drives us to honor the work of Christ Jesus. The Scottish Puritan pastor Samuel Rutherford wrote, Christ's cross is the sweetest burden that ever I bore. It is such a burden as wings are to a bird or sails are to a ship. And so this evening as we honor the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely that lifts us up. Our minds should drift to Calvary often. Our hearts should be camped on its hill permanently. Our life as a church should be committed to proclaiming its truth constantly. This evening and forevermore, honor the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we do come before you with praise and thanksgiving because we recognize that what your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done resonates not just in our lives but through every fiber of creation. His death on the cross is miraculous in that God became man and that in being man he went to the cross. His work on the cross is by his own declaration a work that is finished and yet it is a work that continues to reach out in power and strength to lives today. Father, we pray that we would never forget the majesty and the wonder of Christ giving himself for us. And we pray for your help that it would be a meditation that we would have, not just on a Sunday, but through all of our lives, through all of the week. 
And we pray that above all, Christ would be honoured and lifted up for this world to see. Father, we pray this asking it in that precious name, the name above all names, the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.